Hello and welcome to Currency Exchange. For myself, Imar Devi, and NatWest team of FX Market Strategists help to break down the major themes and events driving currency markets this week and in the weeks ahead. Today, I am joined by our two co-heads of G10 FX Strategy. We've got Brian Dangerfield, who is joining us from the US, and Paul Robinson, who's based here in London. Well, what a difference a week makes. Uh, for months, FX markets and markets generally have been fixated on inflation dynamics, the risk that economic growth was just too strong to see inflation return to target. But last week, a new risk emerged, the risk of financial stability from much higher global interest rates. This transition from the US over to Europe and really ricocheted across um, global asset prices. Brian, I've got to come to you first because we really saw a dramatic repricing in market expectations for the Federal Reserve. And I do think dramatic kind of underplays the price action we saw. Obviously, the FOMC is the next big risk event on our calendar. You know, do you think that repricing is justified given these financial stability risks? And um, what are you thinking about the dollar I look from here? Thanks, Eber. Yeah, it has been a very significant repricing in expectations, um, not just for the Federal Reserve, but across central banks that we've seen the two-year Treasury yield over the past seven days has rallied over 100 basis points uh, from uh, from its peak levels uh, just a week ago after some of the stronger data and the Fed signaling. If you remember last week, it was only last week that Fed Chair Powell said that if the totality of the data merited it, that the Fed cons- could consider speeding up the pace of interest rates, uh, of interest rate hikes. Perhaps the biggest change that we have seen is that the totality of the data now includes financial stability. So you think about the Fed's two, its dual mandate, its growth and inflation mandates. Now we have sort of a return of that shadow mandate, that third mandate uh, for financial stability. Um, And so we think that the risk reward out favors the Fed doing less rather than more. Uh, We actually think the Fed's likely to pause uh, its tightening cycle at its meeting uh, on March 22nd, effectively to take a bit of a lay of the land. Um, And that the risk reward here maybe favors dealing with the potential issues in the immediate term. Uh, and putting the inflation fight, which is a more medium-term uh, consideration, uh, not necessarily to the back burner, but allowing there to at least be a pause for breath here as you accumulate more data, learn a little bit more about the potential contagion risks and uh, uh, potential issues um, facing financial markets. Um, I think, you know, and we'll talk about the ECB in a second, or at least Paul will discuss the ECB in a moment, though we did just have the ECB decision this morning in that does make you wonder after they hiked their policy rate as anticipated, as previously signaled, whether the Fed would consider taking a similar track. But we do think that the risk reward uh, does favor them taking a a pause here. And like you said, Emir, this is a very significant change in the way we think about the, from the dollar perspective, how we think about the data in relation to the dollar. We've spent the last month and a half talking a lot about data dependence. It's all about the data. Even in last week on the podcast, we were talking all about how the CPI and the NFP were going to be make or break for the Fed for its meeting uh, in in late March. Suddenly, the data in the near term does not look as important um, as we face these near term challenges coming from financial markets. And so, from that perspective, I think it's a very big change in the way that we think about um, the way the dollar responds to uh, incoming indicators on the uh, on the economy. So. You, know, you think about the potential ramifications from 
tighter financial conditions for consumer and business confidence for a credit accumulation and the like. Um, there's a potential here that the market starts to price towards weaker growth expectations, disinflationary pressures that can result from financial market instability uh, and continues to price out the Fed uh, further from here. And so from a dollar perspective, one of the big changes from our side is that maybe we're moving away from this data dependence mode where the data had been very strong in the US, continues to be fairly strong in the US, pushing the dollar stronger for the duration of the last month and a half. Now, maybe we're moving away from that uh, towards something a little bit less data dependent. Yeah, I completely agree. I do think, you know, data is always kind of intrinsically backward looking. And almost what we're seeing now in financial markets could actually be the biggest drivers of, of dollar direction of Fed policy. You know, I know you spoke previously about this kind of idea of moving from rate divergence to rate convergence. Could you dig into this a little bit more? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, again, if you think back over the last month and a half, the big theme in financial markets was the market pricing and favoring currencies where central banks had been delivering hawkish messaging and fading those that appeared to be lagging behind, especially in economies where the data supported the hawkish discussion points and the hawkish leaning of the central bank. So you think about the Fed on the extreme of one side of that, where the data had been very strong and the market had been repricing the Fed. You know, we had been cautious and remained cautious about whether or not that move is a last hurrah of hawkishness uh, from the Fed. Um, but the market was, you know, very focused on interest rates, relative interest rates, relative policy as a big driver and was really sort of drowning out a lot of other potential factors that could be driving the currency. On the flip side, you have economies who have incurred central banks who've taken on a more dovish task. Um, the Bank of Canada with its interest rate pause, for example, and maybe the extreme example here being the Bank of Japan with its yield curve control policy and policy. So for the last couple of months, we've been looking at interest rate divergence in favor of the dollar and hawkish central banks as the big driver of markets. Now we seem to be seeing the opposite where markets are rapidly pricing out tightening in the areas in which they had been, had been priced in. So from that perspective, we have a bit of rate convergence at the yen, understandably, is one of the big uh, uh, potential beneficiaries of this type of move because its rates are very low and are effectively anchored by yield curve control policy. Interest rate divergence is almost entirely a factor of what's happening outside of their borders rather than inside of their borders because of that policy. And so from that perspective, we see we've suddenly flipped away from rate divergence as the big theme in FX markets to suddenly rate convergence as we priced out um, a significant amount of tightening um, over the last couple of months. And so that I think is you know also when we think about the dollar lower data dependence as we as we've priced out um, quite a bit of Fed, you know that's uh, you know removing some support for the dollar here uh, on net. Yeah, and on that note, you know we just had that ECB decision. And markets significantly reduced expectations um, of how much the ECB was going to hike by. A lot of people were saying they were going to stay on hold, even though they pre-committed to 50 basis points. Well, Paul, I'll reunite. They did hike by 50 basis points. But the euro dollar reaction was a little lackluster. How are you reading this hike and how do you think markets are interpreting it? Uh, I think that's exactly why the euro was um, marked a little bit lower. We had a bigger reaction in bond markets, maybe bond markets were a little bit uh, more worried about the outlook for, for policy or maybe a little bit of a hint of this is a policy mistake uh, given uh, financial market volatility that we've seen over the last uh, 10 days or so. 
And I actually think delivering a 50 basis points is positive for the, the currency. Obviously, it was a very difficult uh, meeting for the ECB to um, um, work around, given that they were first up. You know, the Bank of England, for example, has got a little bit more time to assess uh, the impact on the, the outlook of um, recent uh, volatility uh, in markets. Uh, and why do I think that? Well, I think that it's more about what um, what worries markets more. Is it about um, the read across to financial market stability, or is it about growth risks and policy mistake risks? And I would say, um, given how the currency has been reacting uh, to recent developments, I would say it was more about financial stability uh, risks. And and so this decision to raise rates 50 basis points, I think, is a a sign of confidence uh, in the outlook for um, financial stability within the uh, region. Now, of course, it could be a like a confidence uh, trick, but they they have all the information. They have far more information than I do, and the fact that they uh, are confident enough that they can continue to raise rates and that they have tools to help markets lubricate markets uh, to make sure that they work uh, correctly, I, I think, is a, a positive. So. It's very interesting what Brian was saying about um, monetary policy uh, convergence. And obviously, this, the story has been one of uh, ever higher US rates. Um, and it feels like the, the impact on credit conditions, for example, is going to be uh, more severe in the US than it is in uh, Europe. And, and ultimately, that pays uh, uh, higher euro dollar. And so we still hold to the view that euro dollar is ultimately heading uh, up to 115. And I'm actually more confident in that call. Uh, than I was just a couple of weeks ago. And kind of one part of the world which actually wasn't causing that much volatility was the UK. We had the UK budget, which went off kind of without a hitch compared to last October. Um, I just have to draw you on it. You Did you see that much impact for long-term sterling directing? Uh, do you think it's a positive that it didn't have much impact uh, on, on sterling on the investment? Yeah, as you say, it sort of almost passed without notice, um, which is, I think, important uh, in itself. Um, even for the bond market, you wouldn't know that we actually had a, a, a budget. And, and given some of the turmoil we've had in bond markets over the last sort of six months, I think that that's uh, important. Of course, the government didn't really have much wiggle room uh, in terms of policy uh, and probably a little bit emotionally scarred from some of the volatility. So, it was about the low, the slow move to normality uh, for the, the UK. So there wasn't a lot in it for uh, the currency. But I think that there's two important points to, to note. So the first one is the optics around that. So the fact that the UK delivered uh, a budget that didn't move markets compared to the last update back in the autumn that saw sterling extremely weak and bond markets extremely weak the the fact that we it was delivered uh, without uh, much market impact I, I think is a positive and it was also uh, delivered at a time when you had financial market stability uh, concerns and sterling actually rallied it almost had a an air of a sort of island of stability uh, almost a pun there but um in this sort of uh, world of financial market instability uh, which compared to where we were Six months ago, I, I think, is a remarkable uh, transition, which I think is supportive of the, the currency. Uh, the second point I would make is just the, sort of using um, Powelson, the totality of the uh, budget. And um, as I said, it didn't have a lot of wiggle room, but what were they focusing on? Well, the government was focusing on investment, 
and on the labor market. And when you think about you know, what drives economic growth over the medium term, it's a relatively simple um, structure. It's basically um, how much investment the capital stock there is, how much you work that, and the size of the labor market. And this was a budget delivered to try and increase the labor uh, supply and get people uh, investing. And for that, um, for the longer term, that should be uh, a positive for, for growth. Now, you know whether they've done enough, whether it has the impact that they, they want remains to be seen. But why is that important now? Well, as we just uh, discussed last week about how sterling was being penalized, we had sort of uh, entrenched pessimism around the UK. It was about weak growth expectations. It was about the collateral damage on growth of the central bank's uh, attempts to get inflation down, which was holding sterling back. So anything that moves the needle on growth expectations uh, should be supportive uh, of the, the currency. Now, for now, the, the data are just sort of um, challenging that that pessimistic uh, or bearishness in, in markets about growth, and, and we think that that's a go with. So we still hold to our higher sterling versus the dollar view, just as we hold the same view as that uh, euro dollar ultimately heads higher. Well, Ymir, if I could jump back in, I'd love to ask you about emerging markets as well. Um, I think in emerging markets, uh, we tend to default to emerging markets as an asset class being either all one way, all the other way, where you have periods of relative calm in financial markets or generally positive emerging market currencies and periods of uh, financial market instability and stress are generally negative for emerging markets. But um, one of the things I know that you and your team have been discussing is differentiation among individual economies, trying to look at emerging markets a little bit less from this all one trade style um, thinking and instead look for you know uh, economies with strong fundamentals and potentially high carry um, versus you know versus otherwise. Um, is that a view that you still hold on to? How are you thinking about emerging market currencies both as a whole and in individual uh, from an individual economy perspective uh, through some of this instability that we've seen? Yeah, I do think in kind of times of instability or when broad dollar direction isn't is kind of in flux or not exactly clear, you have to kind of play relative value. So you got to play EM versus EM. Uh, so we're definitely looking at those bottom up stories and seeing which is the strongest. Um, I think, you know, especially in an environment where it seems quite risk all of you, know, there's kind of financial stability concerns. Um, it's good to kind of double down into kind of domestic idiosyncratic stories where there is kind of a negative element to it. So one of the ones, you know, we've been really highlighting, we think there is big risk is South Africa, where we've had unprecedented electricity rationing. You know, I think we've known, um, you know, for the last decade, probably that, you know, South Africa, you know, is very much dependent on the state electricity grid, and it just doesn't generate enough electricity to meet demand. Uh, but in December, we had unprecedented load shedding, uh, where effectively the monthly amount basically surpassed all previous annual totals. And that's kind of reinforced by kind of more uh, difficult diplomatic situation. South Africa seems to be shifting into alliance with China and with Russia. Um, and also concerns were raised over corruption, its corruption policies. And then probably the counter side to that is Brazil, where actually, you know, we think a lot of those political concerns and worries are actually starting to resolve themselves. Um, and it's supported by very strong carries to just holding this currency. You um, you earn a very solid return. Uh, so I think kind of focusing down on those fundamentals is probably a way to kind of protect yourself 
to kind of a global investment environment, which is still very much in flux. But guys, on that note, I will have to wrap it up. And thank you for joining us this week. We'll see what next week brings. Um, and thank you to my two guests as well. Uh, if you do like the podcast, please click like and also remember to subscribe so you can get the latest edition first. Thanks again. <laughs>